Hey guys, hope everybody is doing well and welcome to episode 8 of the Prime Life Podcast. I have a very special guest on today's show, but before we get stuck into it, as always, I want to give a quick shout out to, I suppose, two very relevant sponsors of today's episode. So this episode of this podcast is sponsored by nutsandgrains.ie. Nuts and Grains is an independently owned health food store based in Mullingar and they also deliver all across the nation. Now this store is full of superfoods, nuts and seeds, healthy snacks. You can order health supplements online, vitamins and minerals, sports supplements, you name it, these guys have it. So guys, they are still operating and working Uh, during this pandemic and they're delivering across the nation and across Europe. So any orders over 30 euro will be free delivery. And if you use Prime Life 10 um, on checkout on your promo code as a promo code, you will get 10% off. So go to www.nutsandgrains.ie and uh, get your supplies, whatever you need to help build your immune system and keep your mind and body healthy. All right, guys, this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Spoonful Botanical. Spoonful Botanical is an innovative blend of the highest quality herbs, spices, and fermented fruits, homemade in County Loud. And it has renowned properties to combat inflammation and help build your immune system. Like nuts and grains, these guys are still open and they are still selling product and sending product across the country. So go to spoonfulbotanical.com and uh, put your orders in. It is an amazing product. I use it every day and um, it has definitely helped my inflammation when running. So guys, go to nutsandgrains.ie and spoonfulbotanical.com. All right, folks, let's get started on the podcast. So... I am very excited to get started on this podcast and I've been trying to, we've been trying to have this interview for a long time, but I suppose due to this coronavirus that's going on at the moment, uh, we both have a lot of time at home. So yeah, this is my first podcast and episode I've done uh, over over Skype. So yeah, it worked out really well, thank God. And uh, I'll probably be doing more of these remotely, which is great over the next while. So my guest today is... An incredible guy. He's been on an incredible journey so far. Um, he is extremely inspiring. I kind of left the interview thinking to myself, wow, I want, really want to start doing more triathlons now and uh, hopefully do an Ironman. I don't know when this, the dust of, of all of this is going to settle and when we can be uh, back out there doing activities. But nonetheless, it's definitely inspired me to uh, get out running and cycling again. My guest is an ultra-endurance athlete, and to many of us, we uh, might know what that means, but it means that they run a shit ton and cycle a shit ton of miles and kilometers, uh, over 100 kilometers, 200 kilometers, and in 2010, Shane actually ran his first marathon, and since then, um, and we will talk about it uh, pretty straight on in the podcast, but he has cycled and ran across the USA in 36 days and he's completed numerous Ironmans and triathlons. So without further ado, guys, uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the amazing Shane Finn. (laughs) 
So Shane Finn, welcome to the Prime Life Podcast. I'm very excited to have you on, man. Thanks very much, dude. I'm happy to be here. And, and I know we've been meaning to do this for a while, so it's good to get it going. I know, we've eventually uh, cemented a date due to the madness that's going on. But uh, yeah, all is good, all is good. Um, so Shane, just to give the listeners a bit of context, um, I suppose there's a list of achievements here that I'm looking at. Um, and you have, so if I had to go through them here, so your first marathon in 2010, and I believe when I was listening to one of your podcasts before that, you, uh, you ran your first six miles on the beach, was it two weeks before that or something? And then you've, you've ended up running 12 marathons in 12 days, 24 marathons in 24 days, and you've ran and cycled across the United States. So just looking at this list of achievements, um, can you just explain where this, where the spark for all this came from? And uh, just to give the kind of story behind it all, because I know, I know these numbers have some meaning behind them as well with the 24 and the 12. So Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a case of, um, you know, where, where, where do you start really? Um, I suppose I'll, I'll give a brief overview there from the, from the very beginning. Um, I would have never really been into running, I suppose, growing up. Um, the only running I would have done was playing Gaelic football, you know, uh, I think we all we all probably did that in in, in rural Ireland, anyways. Um, yeah, I suppose. Look, uh, the the charity has a very close connection to both me and my family. So um, yeah, I suppose. Look, growing up, I was older of all the cousins, and um, you know, my cousin Mary, who has spina bifida and hydrocephalus, um, life was very hard for her. So I decided, uh, literally one day, to to run the Dingle Marathon. Um, not knowing at the time, you know, the Dingle Marathon was actually one of the hardest marathons in Ireland. Um, but I guess was my naivety. Uh, I thought that with a bit of football fitness, I could get it done. Um, so literally from there, um, I, I, I just set off and I started training. And I won't even call it training, really. I think I ran Inch Beach twice, um, which is six miles before my first marathon. Now, you know, I've gotten to the stage now where I actually train people, I coach people, and that is exactly how you do not uh, prepare for uh, an ultra distance endurance event, I can tell you that. Um, but I gave it a crack, um, and, uh, you know, we raised eight grand for the charity, which was was fantastic because it was a, for me personally, it was great to, to raise a sum of money, um, but it was the first time in my life I'd ever actually done anything for myself. Um, you know, I would have been very quiet growing up, I would have been very shy, my self-confidence wouldn't have been made wouldn't have been great. You know, um playing team sports, I suppose I, I kind of fitted in with the rest of the lads and the rest of the team, you know. Um, but it was the first time in my life where I was really faced with, I suppose, I'd nearly call it adversity, really, and an actual physical pain. And uh, I had no other choice but to get out of it myself. Um, and it really opened up my eyes and opened up a whole new world to me, really. Um, you know, so from that first marathon, it kind of just, it literally, uh, it turned the course of my life, really. Um, it, it made me realize that there's more out there um, that there's more for me to do and that I was very, very, very comfortable in what I was doing and, and where I was in my own life. And um, yeah, literally, you know, from there, I suppose, made a big, big, uh, big decision to drop out of college. Um, not because not I was so sore from the marathon, but it was, it was coming anyways. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of went back, retrained in kind of fitness and strength conditioning, opened up my own business, uh, with my business partner, Mark. Um, and then in, in 2014 decided that I wanted to do something for the charity again. Um, I didn't know 
quite know what I wanted to do or how I was going to do it. Um, but I knew if I was going to do something big, it would have to be different. And, uh, you know, look, no, no disrespect to anybody, um, but like everybody was kind of running marathons for charity, you know. So I knew I'd have to do something a bit mad, really. Um, and I had no idea what it was. And one day it just happened. It just came to me. Uh, my van actually broke down in Dublin when I was about to uh, drive home and uh down to dingle and i rang my dad and said look the van's after breaking down like what'll i do you know and he said uh joe you can do now you can run home um because he told me to not actually buy that van so um i got the van sorted anyway <laughs> and you know i just clocked it down home and i was like jesus that's actually not a bad idea you know um so anyway we went from the concept stage to to getting it done uh it was my first multi-day event uh that was in 2014 and um, took a break then actually for for a couple of years for nearly three years um you know i was kind of all in in my business um i, I mean all in i was like i literally my, my life was non-existent for for three and a half years outside my business uh, which was great i mean i learned a lot i met a lot of great people and made some really good contacts um but then i suppose i was the, the calling was still there. I still, you know, I think every time I do something like this, I, I often have a moment of reflection, usually about two or three months afterwards when I'm on my own back training. And I'm like, you know, you could have gone further, like, you know, even though at the time you think you can't. Um, and that kind of came up, made me come up with the idea of doing the 24 marathons in 24 days. Um, my cousin Mary, her, her condition deter was deteriorating and she was finding things quite tough. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, a family member um, told me in Christmas of, of 2015, 16, we'll say, um, that, you know, that Mary feels the feeling of pain 24 hours a day. Um, and that uh, that that statement and that moment um, had a massive, massive impact on me. I mean, uh, you know, we have certain points in our life um, and certain moments, like, for example, 9-11, um, that was almost like another 9-11 moment for me because I, I knew, you know, I knew exactly where I was and I was present for that 10 seconds, we'll say, and I knew, you know, I can vividly remember it. Um, and I remember coming home after that and just being like, like, what are you doing? Like, you, you're so much potential. You can do so much for people. And you're just like, you know, you're acting as if you can't do anything else. You know, so literally within 24 hours, uh, no pun intended, I decided I was going to do 24 marathons in 24 days. Um to represent 24 hours a day for somebody that uh that struggled and and, and somebody with disability and their family too because it's not just the person with the disability in it um it's their family that's involved too um yeah and, and you know again same same thing we, we we planned it we executed it uh i struggled i did well i struggled again uh, but we got it done and this time we raised 140 grand which was which is absolutely mind-blowing um yeah. amount of money you know, um, and th and then you know, I get these things keep happening. Uh, you know, I was in America. I was looking to do some work in Connecticut, which is uh, just above New York. Um, about three months after the twenty four marathons had finished, uh, this was summer two thousand seventeen. Um, I got a phone call saying the charity had their funding cut and uh, by quite a substantial amount of money, like fifty grand, um, which meant that they're going to have to cancel summer camps for kids. Uh, respite weeks um a lot of the kids in the charity would go to england for like a, a week away to an adaptive kind of an outdoor adventure center that was all being cancelled and it really really annoyed me and it made me really really angry actually um and again i had another one of those moments sitting in a cafe nice and comfortable enjoying the sun and on my laptop looking at something probably stupid um and i had that moment again where i was just like what are you doing man like you know you could be doing so much more like right now um 
you know, and then I decided I was looking out on the water and out in Connecticut. And I was like, like next stop from here really is Dingle. Like you can't go any further east in America. And uh, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm going to bike and run across America in 36 days. Um, so literally came home, got planning, got training, uh, got it done. Um, again, that was definitely without a doubt the toughest thing I've done, bar my first marathon. Um, and, you know, it's actually a year ago today I was climbing up through uh, Bryce Canyon in Utah. So, um, yeah, I have had no major epiphanies since then. But I, as you can see, these these things have natural progressions. And, you know, no doubt there'll be something again in a, in a, in a couple of months or a couple of years. But look, I, I suppose I'm very lucky to, to be able to do these things and, and to have my family support me. Um, and it's just been a look, I suppose it, it's kind of surreal for me even still talking about it myself. And even, you know, when I talk about it to my family, I'm still like, have I done all that stuff? You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I'm just getting started. So it's just been it's been a great uh journey i suppose a great adventure and i hope it never ends what an incredible story and like it's an incredible story and very inspiring and do you think that kind of started from i suppose your your first marathon yeah. was it that kind of moment that you wanted to push through that those physical barriers that kind of sparked this uh, this drive to keep doing more yeah it's good good question and i always allude back to this you know people always ask me uh you know quite a lot like what's the hardest thing you've ever done and like what's the hardest thing you're ever going to do the hardest thing i've ever ever done in my life is that first marathon because i was so you know now I, I would spend i would spend six hours a day reading on the the physiology of ultra endurance athletes like i, I had no idea yeah back then what was involved what my body was going through physically um the bio, <laughs> the biochemistry of my body was so screwed up at the end of that marathon like i was biologically i would say i was biologically as close to death as i'm ever going to get at the end of that marathon i was an absolute mess um, but i remember wow. Wow. i remember the couple of days afterwards you know just the joy of being able to put on my shoes again, to be able to put on my socks on again, little things like that. And then I remember getting back running again and I'm like, you know, maybe it wasn't too bad, you know, and maybe it's just, you just weren't ready and let's do another one of those and see how we get on. And then, it, you know, I did a few single marathons and I began to think, and, you know, I think for, as a, you know, personally, I suppose of a very, very different way of coming at these things than a lot of other people. I, I would have, like I said earlier on, <clears throat> would have struggled a lot as a young lad um for confidence and like i said it was the first time in my life i suppose a i was proud of myself for actually finishing something and b i got i realized that i could actually do something for myself but also help other people at the same time so it's a really cool dynamic and i'm still trying my best to fulfill that dynamic today as well you know no matter what i do whether it was crossing the usa um yeah so part a is physically demanding and you know i was remember on the plane going to america didn't know if i was going to be able to do this thing but getting to help other people while i'm doing it um it's a really it's a really cool dynamic so to answer your question i think yeah um if i hadn't decided to do that marathon i i, I don't really know what i'd be doing uh, to be honest i m- probably wouldn't be here talking to you anyway <laughs> i'm sure you definitely would have had something yeah. that would popped up in your head you sound like that type of guy now that you'd get your mind to something you'll do it so and and that's why I'm very excited to have this podcast and this conversation with you because I I'm a firm believer in the correlation between physical health and uh, mental strength and emotional well-being and I do think they come hand in hand and you know you've 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 spoke there a lot about confidence and I suppose when you put your body through different physical um boundaries and stretch those boundaries physically it gives you that I suppose um 
emotional confidence and mental strength and you build that resilience. And I, th- I suppose with everything that's going on at the moment as well, and I don't really want to talk about the uh, coronavirus, yeah. but um, maybe later on we could maybe have a little few tips from, from what you might have to share with us um, some of the mental mental strength and resilient tips later on in the podcast. But yeah, that's why I was very excited to have this podcast and episode with you because I, I truly believe athletes like yourself and endurance athletes have such a strong mental, um, uh, I suppose, capacity and they can really adapt and be flexible to different scenarios in obviously in sports and also in in real life and i think that really builds that strong foundation for that um so yeah i, I, I this is the first time i've had a I've had an endurance athlete like yourself yeah, on, it's, so it's, it's great. actually it's, it's actually great. interesting like that you say I, I like some days it's funny like i i you know i do interviews i've been on you know, TV and stuff like that. And like, you know, people like ultra endurance athlete, like extreme adventure, ultra athlete. And I'm just like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I like, it almost feel, it makes me feel kind of, I'm still like, un- not even comfortable with calling myself an endurance. I'm just like, I'm going to just go not do my thing. Like, do you know what I mean? It, it, you know, it, I'm just, now I'm just very comfortable in who I am and, and what I'm doing and, and what I want to do yeah. in the future, you know? And, and it's, it's interesting as well. You, you use the word kind of, you know, resilience and, Again, I suppose just to stress, like I do come at this from a very different angle to a lot of people. And yeah, look, I suppose in my last point, I do like to compete. I, I love competing, you know. Um, but I suppose, you know, in, in like in one hand, you know, I can see my cousin Mary and what she's been through. You know what I mean? And we all, I suppose, have role models and people we look up to in life. And I can tell you one thing, she's the toughest person I've ever met in my life. And she's far tougher than I'll ever be. So for me, I suppose, to to have things like resilience and mental strength and stuff like that, I actually find it really easy, Um, you know, because I've met so many fantastic people, uh, families, children uh, all over Ireland. Um since I started kind of doing this stuff um, and it's really given me a different perspective and a different, a different way of looking at things, you know? And I heard only the other day that um, Ireland is one of the highest rates for spina bifida, is it? It is. Like, yeah. Right? Yeah. So basically what spina bifida is, is, is um, it's a split spine. So when we were all born as babies, your spine, you know, as a newborn child, your, your spine grows up and down and fuses in a spina bifida baby that doesn't meet. Um, so that's why it hints the spinal defect. And, and then the second word is hydrocephalus. Um, so basically the role of the spine in the human body is to, you know, regulate fluid in the brain. Um, and, you know, if you obviously, if you have a spinal defect, you, there's a, a chance that you might not, um, be able to, you know, drain the fluid from your brain properly and et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of people would have both. Um, and my cousin Mary has both. Now, some people only have one or the other. And it's really interesting because, you know, the, the, uh, one of the top guys in AIG in Europe, which is one of the largest insurance companies in Europe has spina bifida, but you can't tell. And he leaves a very, very normal life. Um, but then you look at the opposite end of it, like my cousin Mary, who, you know, who, 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 who actually can't do anything for herself, you know, so it, it's, it's, um, it's very varying. It's very different for everybody. Um, but at the, you know, the end goal is, 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 you know, your, your, your life is, is far from ideal, you know? So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one on, on people. And it's a tough one on families. So going back to your decision to raise money for spina bifida, um, and what was sort of, I suppose, you, where did, where did the idea of 36 days going across the United States? Because if some listening might say, man, this guy is nuts. Yeah. That is a, it's a crazy, it's, and I'm suppose you're only the only, you'd be the only first Kerry man to do it. Probably the first Irish man yeah, to do it. I, 
Um, how many people ran and cycled across the USA? And what an amazing way to do it as well is to raise money for your cousin and for that foundation. So, um, yeah, how did this? How did that spark? So it's, it's a funny story, and it, it all kind of goes back to 2014, actually, uh, Alex. It's it's uh, you know, it wasn't just a kind of a number. I I, I kind of pulled this was 12 out of the back pocket, really, you know, because when I was doing the 12 Martins, 12 days, I, I, you know, I came up with this, and I measured it on that first day after my van broke down that I told you about, it was, it was working out at nine marathons. And I was like, you know, I was like, if I'm going to do anything, it'll have to be double figures, you know? So I rounded it up to 12 and I came home, what we in Kerry, we would call the old Dublin road, you know? Um, so that's our, that was our route. And, uh, you know, then the 24 was double 12 and that was unintentional. I didn't really, you know, the plan was never to double the 12 marathons, um, it had a symbolic feature, you know, um, and then when I was planning the America trip, I was like, ah, oh, like it, it has to go up 12. Like you can't, it has to be 12, 24 and 36. I can't be 35. It'd really annoy me for years to come, you know? Um, so that's where the number 36 came from. And, and like literally there was, there was no real symbolic nature to the 36. It was just, uh, you know, I was like, oh, it'd be, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to do. I, like I had this random idea to do, tar- try to do it in 32 days. Like, every day it'd be like for one county in ireland or something like that but i was like no that's not gonna work so i went 12 24 36 and yeah the bike and running aspect was was interesting um and i will say my my first plan was to actually run it and not bike it Um, and that was going to take me 112 days and i was like well okay i I would love to do that sometime but right now i think it's not not the right time for me to do it uh you know you i have my family think about my crew uh, like my dad is the main guy in my crew, you know, so he'd have to leave home for a hundred days and just wasn't responsible really, you know, so had a chat with the family, um, you know, and once I got their support, uh, it was, it was, it was go from there really, to be honest, because, um, they're 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 in it as much as I'm in it as well, you know. So that was the number. I I don't really know. Like it was it was interesting. I was like, because some like guys have done similar things before. Um, I know, but guys bike across America quite a lot, and guys run across America quite a lot. So again, you know, from a fundraising and kind of marketing perspective, I just wanted it to be a bit different. Um, and to bike the whole, I could probably bike from San Francisco to New York and back in 36 days. But to add the running in was just, just something unique, something different. And it gave me something uh, a lot more challenging to train for as well, you know? And how did you split it? Did you, did you go every second? Did you go every second day on it? Yeah. Or so what, what did a lot of work. So from my own background, it's just like, you know, I'm very lucky to, to work with a, with a university in Connecticut actually. Um, and they have one of the best sports science facilities in the state of Connecticut. So, and that's the kind of department I work for here in, in Ireland when they send students to study abroad. I've become quite friendly with the kind of head of, head of exercise science there. And we talk all the time, like all the time, whether just kind of guy stuff or just like training. And I had a really, really good open conversation with him. And he said that, look, he said the best way for you to do this is you want to be doing a minimum three days per thing. Because when I look back and I look back at the 24 and I look back at the 12, in the 24 marathons, I ran my fastest marathon on day 19. So my body, you know, day nineteen was your mm. fastest marriage. So I was. Why? Why? Why, why would that know. be? What, I don't know. I, I mean, for, well, look, I suppose I do know. I mean, you're, the body adapts. The body's very smart. So whatever you subject your body to, it'll perceive it as being normal. So if you're lazy and you're sitting down every day, that'll become your new normal. You know, um, if you're running a marathon every morning at nine o'clock or ten o'clock, um, your body now perceives this as normal and it adapts to 
it, you know, at the current circumstances that you put it under. Um, so I was kind of thinking of that as, okay, that's ultra running like days and days and days. Now I'm throwing a bike in there and I'm going to be running and my body's not really going to have a chance to adapt to either or. So this could be, you know, I was like, I'm, I remember having this thought to myself flying to Boulder in Colorado before I started saying like, you know, there's a real chance I might not be able to do this. Um, and that's the first time I thought something like that, to be honest. But so I broke it down into four days biking, two days running. Um, and what that would let me do was that let me settle into a bit of biking, you know, break it up a bit of running. And then after two hard days of running like 60, 70 K, um, might get a little bit, of, a little bit of a reprieve really, and, and get back on the bike to, to cycle 250 K the next day, you know? So, it was um, mentally, it broke it up for me. Um, so I can tell you, after you've done a couple of 250k bikes, you, you're really looking forward to running an ultramarathon the next day. And then after back-to-back ultramarathons, you're looking forward to going back in the saddle of a bike. So that's the kind of mindset I went into it with. And um, there was a bit of adaptability. Some days I went a bit longer on the bike um, to maybe, you know, I might go 5k extra on the bike and then run 5k less the next day and just things like that. So there was no real, you know, standard there wasn't there wasn't a race we were very much so uh exploring exploring boundaries if you want to if you want to put it that way wow and how much how many people were with you on that crew because um just think i'm just like i'm just trying to think of the logistics here so you obviously you were you said you were running what 60 to 70 k yeah. a day that was a long day so when you, had a camp, you must have had a camper van because i was watching uh I, I was some crazy show on Netflix. Uh, was it the Iron Cowboy? Mm-hmm. I think he was trying. I don't know if you yep. ever watched that. And he, I think he had, yeah, he had a camper van. So I'm assuming you had your camper van with you. Yeah. And uh, so the, I suppose the, the crew, the crew wasn't massive. I mean, there was five of us in total. Uh, my dad, who has been with me with every, everything I've done, thankfully, um, and then my physio Ali came with me as well. Um, now Ali, I suppose, really, Ali's the real hero from America because if it wasn't for Ali, I wouldn't have made it. Um, I had a bad Achilles injury about day nine into America. Um, I mean, this thing though was, it was the size, it was the size of my thumb out the back of my, out the back of my ankle. Um, and you know, we managed to, to kind of get that right. And kind of by day 25, it was as good as recovered again. So Ali was, you know, I, I remember approaching Ali at the time and saying, Hey, look, I've got this idea and, uh, no, no word of a lie. Like she looked at me and she said, I'm in. You know, I hadn't even told her what it was, you know, and I was like, well, do you want me to tell you first? And she was like, look, I'm interested. I want to go like it. I think it'd be a fantastic experience. So I was very lucky to have her um, and she's a fantastic physio. And then we had uh, two guys driving two vans. So we had one camper and then one smaller van um, and then one other guy doing a bit of cooking. And uh, it was great crack. And we had a, yeah, I mean, look, from a logistical standpoint, right, like I'd be very, uh I'm a very organized person, you know, I like to plan out my day, plan out my week, you know, I remember we spent probably two and a half, three months planning out this whole thing, like every route, every campsite, every day, every, we picked out every petrol station, and I remember halfway through day two, the whole thing was just gone out the window, um, completely out the window, and we were just, and I mean, capital winging it, uh, because the routes were different, some roads were closed, I got rerouted halfway through day one, because there was a shooting in San Antonio, middle of the street, middle of the day, I was supposed to go up through the middle of the city, um, not all places was shut down, oh um, do you know, so little things like that, and I remember finishing on day three, and being 100k behind already, I was only three days in, I was already 100k behind, and uh, so that's, you know, then I hit the desert and, and I got to got to get some real work done. Um, 
but we were chasing our tails all the way till day 35 and it was only on day 35 I got back on track to what our original plan was and then I finished the last day on day 36 so it was very much so uh it was cat. It was a game of cat and mouse from the very start. You know, it was. Uh, I always knew it was going to be, but didn't think it was going to be that that uh, that touch and go. I guess. So there was. It was your second last day that you actually got back yeah. on track. Yeah, we we finished in Connecticut on the second last day, and we finished at the college. And um, you know, the more I think back about it, like I'm still remembering bits of it, but the more I think back about it, I. I I I was cognitively I was fine I was present um now I'd lost a good bit of weight and I remember like even there's still students coming I mean the crowd in that the college that that day was just phenomenal like it's a good big enough Irish community there anyway like they had Irish dancers there the, the Gaelic football team were there there must have been about four hundred staff and students from the college there like it was phenomenal and uh, I had a like I had a conversation with the president of the college and like if you're president of the college in, in over in the US you're kind of a kind of a big deal you know. Um, I don't remember a single bit of it because I met him in Dingle a couple of months ago and like just, you know, I don't remember any of it. A lot of students said they had they were chatting to me and got pictures at me. Um, it, it's all very vague to me, to be honest, but I do remember just literally that evening being just so happy that we were back on track because uh, there was a general feeling amongst myself and the crew and a couple of, I suppose, confidential uh, conversations with Ali as well, like that, you know, what are we going to do if we don't make it? But um, so I was just so happy to get there on that second last day. Were there any moments going through that, that let's say your inner voice was coming in and you were just thinking to yourself, my God, I'm not going to, like, how did you deal with that voice? Because I'm sure it definitely came into your head. Absolutely. Um, it's a great question. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't, it's hard to, it's hard to articulate it, right? I, I The only way I can actually ever get to that level is by putting myself into situations like that. And, uh, you know, I can talk about it and stuff, but I suppose to actually feel it, you have to be there. And I remember a couple of different things that I, that I go through. And, and number one was I used to have maybe on five or six occasions every day, I would say to myself, I didn't want to be here. I, I, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. Now, I suppose just to circle back, the reason that we needed to be in New York on May the third was 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 twofold. Was it was a May bank it was the bank holiday weekend in Ireland, the May bank holiday. So a lot of family and friends frying over for the finish. And number two is my cousin Mary is going to be there on Brooklyn Bridge at the finish. And it's been her dream since she was a child to go to New York. Um so if I wasn't there on that day, I would have ruined the whole party. Do you know what I mean? So I really had to get there. So Every day I will go through. That's I'll a, go through. That's a serious amount of pressure. To put yeah, yourself. yeah. So <laughs> after running across the stage, back myself into a corner and give it a go. So yeah, there were a couple of points every day where you you just go through those negative thoughts, you know. And look, I'm not like I'm not one of these kind of. Uh, I'm, you know, one of these gurus who promotes like all this kind of stuff. And, but I've been there, I've experienced these kind of things, you know, and I, things that work for me are very, very simple. I realize I can't block out negativity. I can't block out seg- negative self-talk. So what I do is I leave it in and I give myself a time. So basically, you know, if I start going through a bad patch mentally, um, I look at my Garmin on my bike or on my watch and my, my, my wrist when I'm running and I'd set the timer for five minutes so I, in that five minutes, I could do whatever I wanted. I could say whatever I want. I could be as negative as I want, control my toys out of the pram. But when that five minutes is up and I see that, okay, this I started this at five to two and now it's two. Um, on that fifth minute, I would name five things I'm grateful for on that day. And that could be anything. That could be it's dry. Uh, I'm in a new state. 
the views are nice, it's sunny, I'm going to have a break soon. Um, you know, it could be anything. And it would literally completely change my whole mindset, my whole perspective on that day. Now, I might have to do again in an hour's time, but it worked really, really well for me. And then the second thing would be, I remember on day 19 again in America, I know day 19 was my best day in Ireland when I ran around Ireland. Day 19 in America, I had a rough day. Um, I think we were in Indiana, the fourth day in a row of just heavy driving rain and wind. And, uh, you know, I remember just stopping in the middle of nowhere at this kind of gas station, they call it, we call it petrol station, and just freezing cold. And I remember just saying to myself, if I keep moving, America will run out of land. And it was that moment I was like, that's it. You have this thing cracked. You're over halfway. You're past day 18. If you keep moving, America will run out of land. But if you stop, you know, you're not going to get there. And that simple little thing that I told myself, I remember just literally being overcome with joy and just being overcome with confidence and belief in myself again. And that second half of that day, I like biked like my fastest bike split ever over 100k. And uh, just for no real reason, no, the roads weren't necessarily pan flat or anything, but, uh, you know, that just simple little mindset shift that I kind of, I suppose, came up with myself, um, you know, worked really, really well for me because there's things I would have put in place beforehand um, thought things I would have come up with and uh, plans. But uh, it's, it's like, it's really hard to, I suppose, say, but like when you're in it and when you're there and like when you're, you know, you're coughing up blood and you're running up another like 10,000 foot mountain, like some of the things you put in place like last month don't, don't really work, you know, so you gotta, you gotta come up with things on the spot. So they're the kind of things that work for me. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you, like, I mean, you must've had a huge, put in a huge amount of physical training in and, and a structure beforehand. And uh, do you think, I, I suppose it's kind of like that, that question of the chicken and the egg, which came first. And I think like, to build a strong mindset, sometimes uh, when I look at athletes, is I think they build a strong mindset by just physically pushing themselves constantly and overcoming that inner voice and inner critic saying to give up. But then I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, do did you did you have any? How did you prepare mentally for all of this? Was there any tips or tricks that you could share with us before before like taking off to the states to do anything across? Yeah, so <clears throat> good question again. And like I suppose I was very lucky, um, Alex, to have the the experience. I don't know if I call it experience, but I I had the twelve marathons and the twenty four marathons in my back pocket, so I kind of knew. I knew a couple of things. I knew exactly what suited me and I knew what I liked and I knew what I didn't like and I knew what I enjoyed and I knew what I struggled with. Um, so basically I would just play to my strengths. You know, I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, I was just going to get really, really fit. But also my next priority was to stay injury free. Um, so from a training perspective, I had to be very adaptable, you know, rather than training in seven day blocks, I trained in 10 day blocks because I would move around my rest days and take an extra rest day if I needed it and stuff like that. Um, I've been training on my own basically for seven years. Um, so I've no problem spending hours on, on my own at my own time. And it's actually one of the most enjoyable things I do is just packing my little backpack and getting my trail shoes on and, and saying, look, I'm going away. I, I, I could be two hours. I could be six hours. I'm not sure. You know, so that that for me was the training part was actually easy. Um, but it, I suppose as well, when you look at it, I would do a lot of, I suppose, you know, mental planning and, and things like that. And, you know, I had I had been to San Francisco beforehand to, to suss out some stuff. I'd been to New York to run the last 20K. But there was 4,900 kilometers in between that I had no idea what was what was going to be put in front of me, you know. Um, so I had to take it day by day, same as my training. Um, I would do a lot of training in the dark. And the, I would try training 
the worst weather I could get and um, just to have myself ready for, for all kind of uh, occasions in America. Um, still wasn't ready for the snow and the cold, but that's a, that's another story. Um, and it's look, staying injury free was a big thing for me. These ultra endurance challenges, it's really, you know, you can train for an event that's maybe a day or, or half a day or 13 miles or 26 miles, but this thing was 36 days long, you know? So there is no training plans on Google for this kind of stuff. It's, it's um you know, you prepare the body, you prepare the mind and, and you give it a shot. And yeah, sometimes you get fit during it, you know? So it's, um it was just a, a balancing act, I guess, really between all those. And I, the question I wanted to ask was on, on training, you're talking about training and getting prepared for it. There's probably a fine line between under training and over training. And the biggest worry for any athletes would be to land yourself in an injury. Did what, 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 how did you prepare for that or did not prepare for that? But how did you make sure that you were, and I remember listening to one of your podcasts. I forget what the phrase, but it was a really good phrase. Um, you'd rather be, 10% was a 10% uh, undertrained and 1% overtrained. Yeah, I have two I have two uh two kind of little terms I like to use. Um definitely with the ultra endurance stuff, it's it's I'd rather be 10% undertrained than 1% overtrained because if you're 1% overtrained and carrying any kind of a niggle at all, um that will pop up it's straight away, if not straight away, fairly quickly coming into it. So it's funny because I, I get asked all the time by people, you know, doing similar things and stuff like that. And, you know, I see them training and hammering themselves and I'm like, yeah, that's not really the right way to do it. You know, you got to be fit, but you got to be fresh, you know. And um, so, yeah, look, I've been under trained for these things. I've also been overtrained. Uh, and I suppose the second term I also like to use is there's a there's a very, very fine line for this kind of stuff. Um you know, between being fit and being kind of fecked, do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a very, very fine line that I've all, I've crossed a couple of times, you know? Um, so, you know, everybody's a bit different and you got to find out where that line is for you. Um, I suppose look from a training perspective, and this is kind of going off topic here now as well, but is a lot of people do what they see other people doing. So, you know, there's, there's guys watching David Goggins. I think that's, that's how I better train like that. And that's why I'm going to train for my Ironman is because that's how he's trained. And that's how I'm meant to train. And that's not the case. You gotta, you gotta find out yourself, like what, what your limits are, how your body responds to training, how your body responds to recovery. And for me, look, I suppose to, to just conclude that would be the best kind of training you can do is the one you can recover from. Because if you can't recover from your training, um, it's just like going into negative balance and you're overdrafting the bank all the time and never being able to get out of it, you know? Um, so you want to make sure that you're recovering properly and that you're training hard. Yeah, because you often see, like myself included, I get into these I get into these sort of um, a couple of weeks where I'd be training like crazy and then I get sick of it. Because I remember training for, uh, actually I said, I said it to you the other day, for the yeah. quest race in Wicklow. And, uh, yeah, I, I, after about eight weeks, I was pushing myself. I think I trained for about 10 weeks. And I think the last two weeks coming up to the race, I just couldn't wait for it to, to be mm -hmm. over with because I was just pushing myself so yeah. much for those eight weeks. And I probably just overdid it. Um, actually, talking about Quest Race, this is something else I want to bring up is, and I suppose a lot of the listeners are probably wondering, what sort of food and nutrition were you pumping into yourself during these uh, that 36 days and the Ironman? Because I remember waking up for the Quest race. I woke up two hours before the race, and this is um, the opposite of what, what you were saying for us to do on your podcast, was I, I pumped myself with, lo loaded myself with carbohydrates, bananas, peanut butter, you name it. 
I uh, I filled myself up and I never actually do that, but it was just because me and my mate were doing this race together. We decided to, you know, let's fill ourselves with carbohydrates. But I remember listening to your podcast with Barry. You know, you do a lot of work with Barry Murray and uh, you have a whole kind of different side uh, and thought on nutrition. Yeah, I mean, the nutrition one's an interesting one for me because I've been on both sides of the fence with the <clears throat> with regards to carbohydrate and regards to low carbohydrate. And for me, I suppose it all comes back to my health. That's the like that's the number one thing for me really with with all these kind of things. And I know I might like some people might be like, oh, this what this fella, what's this fella talk about his health? Or he's not doing what he's doing. Not is not healthy. <clears throat> but what I realized after the twenty four marathons, twenty four days that I did very, very high carb. Um, you know, I'd be very close to my GP, um, which I think everybody should be, whether you're an athlete or not. And, you know, he told me that I had the liver function of a 40-year-old alcoholic. Now, that 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 came a quite a surprise for me because, I, you know, I was fit, I was really lean, I was, fit, I was running every day and stuff like that. But under the hood, like I wasn't, it was like having a really, really nice looking car, but under the bonnet, it wasn't functioning properly. And that's basically what I was. I was leaving a lot on the table from a performance perspective. Um, and I just wasn't recovering properly. My sleep was brutal. You know, I was drinking way too much coffee and drinking cans of Monster in the gym and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, you know, I suppose when I look back for a guy that's promoting health and fitness and wellness, and I wasn't really a mirror of that, you know. So, what I started to do was I started to do my own research at the start. I was like, okay, well, you know, there must be another way of feeling the body in a bit more, I suppose, natural and maybe even primal way. Uh, you know, what can I do and what can I maybe look at? You know, I wasn't going to make a big change straight away. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I had heard of Barry before and I heard of Barry had worked with a lot of Olympians and a lot of ultra athletes. He was competing in ultra athletes and with, ultra marathons himself um so started reading some of his work and some doctors and stuff in australia and you know i was kind of beginning to educate myself a little bit better on on the whole i suppose the biological process that happens with ultra endurance and things like that um and i just started doing some kind of fasted training basically i started running 30 minutes and i remember when i started doing it i wouldn't run further than 30 minutes from the house because i was afraid i'd like bonk because i'd no food you know um and you know i i built it up to a stage where I can go for five or six hours now with just a little camelback of water and off up into the hills and I can come back whenever I'm hungry. Um, so, but that took a lot of time. And what I've realized and what I've, I suppose my medical and I suppose my, my, my medical tests and that I've showed is that under the hood, I'm a lot better, a lot better for it as well. Um, you know, my blood work, and I know some people won't agree with the blood work stuff, but for me, it's a really good representation of what's happening in my body. Uh, my heart is absolutely perfect. So I'm, I suppose biologically, I'm in better shape than I was um, two or three years ago, even though I'm two or three years older. Um, and I suppose for me as well, I wasn't just hammering myself full of sugar every day. Um, I was eating a lot of breads, a lot of pastas, a lot of pizzas. Don't get me wrong, I still do, but just not as much. Um, so, you know, for me, if I'm going to eat carbohydrate, it's 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 later in the day. Uh, it's after I train. If I train twice in the day, it's it's um it's going to be after the most intense session. Um, and then when I do consume them, you know, at the moment, the mother's baking flat out because COVID-19, everyone's at home. So, you know, um, or I'm having my potatoes with my dinner after I train or having a pizza with the lads on a Monday night after a hard session on, on Monday evening on the bike or whatever, you know. So I do, I just think about my carbohydrate timing now more so. Um, I'm not like no carb or keto or anything like that. Um, but I am a little bit more conscious about what I do. Um, in America, I brought a lot of those principles with me. And I must say, I, I recovered a lot better 
um, day on day. Um, I retained a lot of lean muscle. I lost a lot of body fat, um, but I, I retained a lot of my kind of muscle and stuff. Um, and I suppose like I was sleeping better. Um, like my, my stomach, like I wasn't having any stomach problems during the day. I could go for hours and not really have to, you know, go to the toilet and stuff like that. And it was just functioning better. I felt better and more energy and more alert. I wasn't reaching for cans of Coke every two hours, like from training and things like that, you know? So for me, I was all around, like it was a health decision, really. It wasn't this thing. I was like, oh, I saw somebody doing it. I'm going to give that a go. Um, I got a right fright from my doctor and I was like, God, I need to like, you know, I, I'm in my mid twenties. I can, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not healthy. Like, you know, so I had to make a change and I'm glad I did. Um, I'm still exploring it. I'm still learning. I've been doing it for three and a half years now, but I'm still trying to figure out like what's the best way and what works for me and what works for me is going to be very different to what works for anybody else. Like I know athletes and guys I've raced against and guys I'll race against in the future that, that go high carbon. It works really well for them, you know, and they're, they're perfect. They're healthy. And, and, and that's, you know, more power to them. And I wish them all the health and, and, and the best. But for me, it, it just wasn't that way. So I had to find a, a, a different way of fueling. And I've, I've taken it to extremes. Like I've done Ironmans on, on high carb uh, with a load of gels. And I've also done Ironmans where I only consume water, you know. Uh, so it, look, I suppose for me, I'm recovering better from the ones where I'm not smashing carbs all the time. Uh, my body, I suppose, responds a bit better. And, you know, from a, from an actual food perspective, I mean, I eat very natural food. You know, I don't really take a lot of supplements and stuff yeah. like that. In America, I was... I was putting putting away about eight thousand calories a day in America, um, which when you're in America well, was isn't that through, too hard to do. Was that through most? So was that through most? Sorry, can you hear me? Okay, I know because uh, just for listeners, we're doing this on uh, uh, through online. But can you hear me? Okay, is that yeah, the sound? Yeah, sounds right? good. Yeah, perfect. Um, uh, was it mostly through packet foods that you were using for going through America? Um, or well, was it? Just natural, just natural. Yeah, food. you see, we had the or we had the RV or camper van, you know, so we could cook, and uh, it was there was a lot of Walmart stops, um, so we just stock up. I remember there was a three day period where we went through the desert in Nevada and Utah, and we didn't find a shop for days, um, so we just had to stock up the freezer with meat and burgers and stuff like that, you know, um, so I was eating as much natural food as I could, a lot of bacon, eggs, um. You know, so potatoes with my dinner, things like that, just natural, kind of all like more like an Irish lad's kind of standard diet. Like, you know, um, I wasn't really uh, too, too worried about it, but I suppose I had like, like from a snack perspective, a lot of nuts, a lot of nut butters, bananas, uh, there's kind of origin bars, like an Irish company that make really clean protein bars for me. Um, so yeah, I just kept, kept it really easy. And then obviously towards the end, as I started kind of, uh, you know, losing weight, um, body fat, I, I, you know, contacted Barry again. I was like, Hey dude, like, do you know, do you think I should up the calories a bit? And, you know, he, he, like, he literally told me, he said, look, try get an extra thousand in a day. So, you know, afterwards it could have been a tub of Jerry's. It could have been a feast of Oreos with a cup of tea, you know, it could have been anything really, but it, I'm glad I kind of had the, I suppose, insight to, to try and get as much calories into as I could, because it was a, it was an important part of it really. Well, when I'm just thinking of it all, because I lived in, uh, I lived in Georgia, and it's such a massive state. I I, I believe it's nearly bigger yeah. than Ireland. And when you look when you look at a map of the United States, oh man, it's so big. <laughs> it's so big. I I just don't know how you got across it. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, one day we were in Kansas. And uh, I was on my bike pedaling and pedaling, ped- like these roads were going on. Like you can't even see the end of the road. It's that far away. And my father was delighted. He found a farm on the side of the road and he was looking at the tractors and 
did the farmer happen to be there on one of the tractors and we got chatting to him for a second you know and anyways you know my dad asked him how big his farm was and you know he went away and he we were in the campsite that night and my dad figured out or he googled it or whatever and like like for like your man's farm was the size of county Clare. so just for reference um <laughs> for, for square yeah, hectare uh-huh. it was the same size as county Clare, and i'd cycle through it so uh, it was um yeah it's mad it's, oh it's, it's crazy oh it's huge absolutely huge yeah wow fair play unbelievable and um wasn't it the Iron Cowboy that tried to go across the United States and do an Iron Man or yeah. crazy? Yeah, thing? so James Lawrence, um, he went to do a, a full Iron Man every day in every state back to back. Now, the thing about it is that in, if you're going to do every state, you have to do Hawaii and Alaska as well. Uh, you have to fly to them. So imagine doing an Iron Man, getting a plane and then flying somewhere to do another one. I, uh, that's a... Uh, uh, that, that's for another and uh, that's for some time in the future maybe for me I'm not, I'm not too sure if i'm ready to jump into that the, the family came here to not yet not yet i'm sure you will that itch will come around you again. never know you'd never know yeah. uh, what do you think it is with with athletes in, in like like yourself and like the iron cowboy is it is it is it addictive that that kind of that euphoria you get at the mm. end and then you want to try and get it again. There's, it's like those extreme sports, like guys jumping off uh, buildings or jumping off mountains and doing skydiving. Is it that adrenaline rush at the end? How, when, when do you go, is it, when's the next one going to be? Cause undoubtedly I get, I guarantee you there'll be another, there'll be another task or challenge that you're going to set out for yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's a good question because like, and I, I suppose the only answer I can come up with is people are like, Oh, like, Literally, I'd say like I hadn't finished. I hadn't finished cross America within two hours, and people are like, "What's next? What's next?" You know, I'm just like, I haven't even gone to the shower yet. Do you know what I mean? I like just give me, give me a break, like you know. So it does, it does, it does occupy space in your mind. But I, I have figured out one thing, and I figured out, and it's it's only in this last two years really I figured this out, especially with the whole America process and the length it took me to train for it and do it and whatnot, is that I absolutely just love the lifestyle of living this kind of life. I love the lifestyle of waking up in the morning, training hard, you know, eating good food, like looking after my body, educating myself and how to become better physically, mentally, uh, and then training again and, you know, optimizing my sleep. And I love like, you know, I, I suppose it's drifting away from the question, but like, I'm always up like trying to run for the sunrise every morning, you know, and I like people are like, why, why did you do that? Like, why don't you just watch the sunset? I was like, well, there's less people out for sunrise, you know? So I just love like heading out my own and just put my shoes on and being like, I'm going running. And it's just, it's just very liberating. It feels good. You know, I really like it. Um, maybe day 20 into crossing in your middle of nowhere in Kansas, you don't like it too much. But you know, when you think back, like I just love the lifestyle. I love challenging myself because I suppose I lived for, you know, 18 years. Well, obviously I wasn't challenging myself as a child, but you know, my teenage years and into my early adult years, I was so like, I was just so, I was, I was going nowhere. Like I don't say that in the mean way. Like I was in college and stuff like that. I'm sure I would have done out. I would have done just fine. But I mean, there's just so much things to life. Like uh, for me, like the life of, 
you know, sitting in an office every day, like in a desk, like I, I know that's everybody, some people listening, that might be their livelihood and that might be the way they feed their family. And that's really important. And that's, that's what you're good at. But for me, that's, that's not for me. And I just look, I just love what I do. And I still can't really, I suppose, say exactly what I do. And I hope like, you know, in the future that these challenges never end, you know, I don't want them to end. I don't want to say that's it because it's just such a nice part of life. Like, you know, I can say I've, I can tell my grandkids that like, oh, I've biked and ran across America and I ran all around Ireland and I ran across Ireland and you know I said you know it's just great to be way to be able to experience life and um I'm just really lucky to be able to do it you know so yeah I hope it I hope it doesn't end I hope I'm not too sure when the next one's going to be but I'm sure it's going to be fun and it's going to be a good crack yeah well look I think it's it's such an incredible story and very inspiring because it it um it gives people hope because you were one of those guys as you said, you you ran your first marathon without ever really running before, and now look where you are. It just shows how far the human mind and body can push itself. And I remember listening to your podcast, and I was thinking to myself, "I'm mad to do an Ironman now," because I've 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 done a couple of triathlons, and I've done that uh, quest race. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of getting the itch to do something else. And then when you see someone like yourself do these incredible uh, challenges and passing them, and it's it really sparks um yeah it inspires people i think to and even if it's even if it's a half marathon or 10k or a marathon um whatever whatever limits they want to push i think what you're doing is showing the the limits that the, the body can go and the mind yeah can it's go. A, it's an interesting so point can, because uh, you know I, I i would think about that quite a lot as well um so for for like you you look at me like i suppose you look at it we'll say on paper or <laughs> online these days you know or whatever and you, you look at me going from coast to coast america um and that's a massive task and mentally it was very draining and physically it's very draining but you know, when you look at maybe a busy mom of four kids and she's working six days a week, for her to do her first 10K could be equally just as tough. You know what I mean? So we're all in the same boat. We're all just trying to push the boundaries and push the limits a little bit. It doesn't matter if you're biking and running across America or if you're trying to do your first half marathon or you're trying to, you know, lose a stone for your kids and you want to be able to be fit so you can play out soccer outside with your young lads on a Saturday afternoon. You know, we're, we're all just trying to become a little bit better. And, and that's my way of trying to become a little bit better is by, you know, finding out how far you can go. So and I, I always, I suppose, say as well with these things is that, you know, I never want anybody to to think that Jesus, oh look, there, like he can do that, and I want people to realize that they can do great things too. I'm just a lad from from kind of you know ten minutes outside Dingle in Southwest Ireland, like you know, if I can do it, you can do it, you know. So whether that's uh, across the US or, or you know your first marathon, um, anybody can do anything, you know. It's it's um, the world is ours. Absolutely, yeah. I hundred percent agree. I think whatever you set your mind to, you can do it. I know that sounds a little cliche, but um yeah, and I think it's just having having that vision, having that motivation and having that uh, discipline. Because I was chatting to somebody yesterday about how uh he was t- explaining to me how motivation can often die and it's what discipline that keeps him going. And is that something actually that might come into your life come into your training sessions is it like cuz you might wake up some make uh, wake up some days and be thinking to yourself ah i don't want to now by listening to you it sounds like you love it no matter what but is there any days where you are feeling unmotivated and how do you get through that what what are your 
what what's your process yeah, there? No, I mean, there's not like I'm not any kind of a special creature when it comes to this kind of stuff. I'm just like everybody. I have good days and bad days, just like everybody. But you you just alluded to basically what I what I was going to say was it's the discipline. You know, actually, I wrote about it this morning too. Like, you know, I was just trying to give people advice um, during this kind of crazy time that we're living in. You know, um, how just being disciplined with your time and your routine and things like that can really help you kind of keep on the straight and narrow. And I've noticed. Um, and I mean, look, again, it's, I know we're in a terrible, uh, terrible, terrible time at the moment and people are dying. And I have, you know, a very close friend who's working in a hospital in New York and she rang me yesterday and it's just, it's scary what's happening. But, you know, in my own little world, um, no, thankfully my, my family are safe and healthy and everybody, uh, but I'm actually secretly kind of thriving because I'm, I'm very disciplined with my time. You go to bed every night, I wake up in the morning, I train, I eat, I drink coffee, I do my work, I train again. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, it doesn't matter. Um, so I've noticed that my, my discipline is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. Some days I'm not motivated, I can tell you that. I'm trying to run up the back of my house here within the two kilometer radius. And there's some mornings you're just, oh, you're just like, oh, I'll just walk it, you know. But like, it, it, then you go up the next morning and you love it, you know. So, I mean, for me, it's just showing up and doing it and, and, and making an appointment with myself every morning to to be there, you know. Um, and, it, you know, I think people get motivated by certain things, uh, books, songs, audiobooks, maybe TV programs, documentaries. Um, but I can tell you one thing, you know, when you're in it and when you're in an event or in a race or in day 20 or whatever it is you're doing, um, kind of what you read in the book or the song you listen to won't really, really be relevant. What you remember is the work that you did um, and every morning that you showed up day after day, week after week. Um, so for me, that's that's what works. You know, I remember being in climbing up this canyon in Utah like and, and like just going up and up and up and up. I remember just saying to myself, I was like, how many mornings did you get up in the wind and the rain to get ready for this, you know? So they were the things that kind of kept me going. And yeah, sure, I wasn't motivated to cycle up that canyon, but I knew my discipline got me to the top and it got me to uh, down into the next next ridge or next canyon into the next state. And you just keep repeating that process. Um, but yeah, I know it's definitely, uh, definitely an interesting one for sure. Shane, what in terms of, I suppose, with everything going on at the moment, and I don't really want to talk about COVID-19 <laughs> or the coronavirus because I think it's, uh, but no, I, I definitely think it's important maybe to get your insight from, um, you know, your emotional resilience and your, your, your mental strength that you've built up uh, through, I suppose, the years of fitness and, and doing Ironman and running across the United States and cycling. How, how much of that mental strength can you, I suppose, translate into real life situations like, uh, like now to work yeah it, it's a great question and i think i'm still trying to figure that out like for what, what's happening at the moment like I, I just alluded there i think my 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 internal discipline with myself is really shining through at the moment um you know because i've seen people not not to be pointing fingers or anything like that but people on quote-unquote fitness journeys that have just completely stopped um you know because of what's happening and you know uh, like every cloud is a silver lining and like again you know i i understand the severity of the situation of what we're actually facing at the moment as a race of people but 
you know, it's also a time for opportunity for you to grow and for you to work and for you to get stronger. Um, and I think people, it, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see who comes out of this stronger and who comes out of this back where they were. Um, so I think what people can do is just literally, you know, what I would do in a lot of ultra endurance situations, whether it's in a race, a one day race or a month long event is control what you can control in that moment. So, for example, if you're you wait, your alarm goes off at six um, and you don't really want to get up and you say, I'll get up at seven, you're in control of that decision. So you're in control of whether you get up at six or whether you, you, you get you actually catch the sunrise or you get up at seven and just you miss it. You know, so that's my first decision every day. My day is just made up of a lot of decisions and I've trained myself to actually try and make the best choice every time for me. Um, and those decisions affect people around me, too. And I understand that. But I understand that if I make the correct ones for myself, I can make better ones for other people. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I think as well during uh, it might be a really strange thing that I, I have never even said this out loud. I think during COVID nineteen, if people could like get a little bit selfish with themselves as well and look after themselves, you know, um, I, I know it's a time where we all have to look after each other. I think that's really important. I think as a race of people, I think as a nation, a nation, we're doing a really really good job of that. But you have to look after you have to look after yourself first as well, because um, if you don't look after yourself first, you won't be able to look after anybody else. Um, and that comes, I guess, was again from from me with regards to training and stuff like that. Um, you know, I prioritize my recovery quite a lot. Uh, obviously, train hard, recover harder, that kind of thing. Um, but even no matter what was going on in the world, I mean, you know, training for different endurance events and stuff like that. Um, you know, things would happen, things would pop up, life things would happen and things unexpected, but I would have to consistently still show up every morning, no matter what was going on, the good or the bad. Um, and then I suppose the last thing that I have, I suppose, made a, a bit of a reference to is, you know, with regards races and stuff like that, you know, uh, I love racing. I love preparing for a race. I love doing that. I love the community. I love the people I meet at races. Um, but we're in a very different kind of a race now, uh, a race that we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know where the finish line is. Um, there are no aid stations. The mile markers are days, basically. Um, and we just have to keep taking every day as it comes. We take every mile as it comes in the marathon. Um, at the moment, for this COVID-19 race, we have to be as you know accountable to ourselves. We have to control what we can control each day um, and try our best to make the best decisions because... You know, uh, the finish line will come no matter how much you're suffering at the back end of a marathon, no matter how far away it seems. Uh, if you keep moving forward, like I did in America, I said, if I keep moving forward, uh, America will run out of land. Um, you know, if we stay patient, and if we keep doing the right things and we keep doing what we're we supposed to be told to do by professionals, um, this race will finish too and we'll all be for the better of it. So um, I hope that uh, makes some of the sense and people can get some bit of, a, I suppose, insight into that and might help them along the way a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think they're great points. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. I love that last point that I think eventually I think the virus will run out of its course too. Just that give it that time and treat it like a, an ultra marathon race, like you might say. So yeah, we just got to give it time and, and keep pushing yeah, forward. Well, Shane, look, um, I think we might wrap it up with that. I really appreciate you uh, taking the call today. Very much. No worries, man. Thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. It was good to, good to chat. And so what, where, where can uh, people find you? Are you doing some online courses at the moment now that maybe people could uh, get you on Instagram or website or do you have any plans maybe coming up in the future? 
after this is all yeah um i mean i suppose uh, everywhere uh literally website is shanefin.com uh social media everywhere really is just my name as well um i suppose my, my initial plans have, have kind of changed i was hoping to to do some races and stuff this year but a lot of them have been postponed or cancelled and that's okay uh, you know i'm not too bothered about that um i'm planning a little trip up the west coast of ireland whenever it's safe to do so i'm gonna pack my bike in my running shoes and my trail shoes in the car a bit of coffee and uh, head off and see where the roads take me and do some do some good hard training up the up the coast somewhere and um yeah look if people want to get in touch i i, I have emails every day of people asking me you know questions and, and looking for advice and stuff like that and i'm always more than happy to to help anybody out uh, anyway i can whether it's uh, online or meet you for a run or a coffee or something like that um yeah look as of, as much as i love kind of doing the online stuff i love uh, i love meeting with people as well and, and catching people face to face you know well, look, I really appreciate it. I think you've shared some great insights, uh, both in athletic and real life situations. And I'm definitely sure the listeners are going to great take some real value from it. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, it was a great chat, man. We finally, we finally got it, got finally it, finally got it done, dude. Listen, thanks so much for having me, Zola. I really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully, the the listeners enjoy the show. All right, thanks a million, Shane. We'll we'll no chat problem, to you soon. Thanks. 